are going to continue. This is going to be, Lord willing, the last message on prayer. The past two weeks we have focused on, on prayer, and prayer is a vital, important part of the Christian life. We talked about the first week in Luke 18, Jesus gave a parable about the, the widow and the unjust judge, and he, he gave that par- parable specifically so that men should always pray and not lose heart. And so we started off just talking about we ought to always pray. God wants us to pray. And in that message, I gave 21 reasons why we should pray. We need all the encouragement and all the why we can get when it comes to prayer. We need to be challenged and encouraged and inspired in this. And then we looked at last week how to pray. We looked at how Jesus taught his disciples to pray in, in Matthew chapter 6, and he taught his disciples to, to be sincere when we pray. Don't be like the hypocrites. To, to, um, to, be, to pray in the secret place when we pray. He taught his disciples to, to pray with substance. Don't just babble empty words in your prayers and think that a lot of words is better. You know, rather than, than a few words with substance and meaning and purpose behind them in your communication with God. And then we talked about with that Jesus teaching his disciples to pray with simplicity. Just the simple prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we looked at how Jesus taught us to pray in that passage. And this week we're going to look at a, a, a prayer of Jesus himself. I said last week that if you, if you want to learn to pray, then there's no better person to go to than the expert Jesus himself. Go to him if you want to learn how to pray. So if I were to have a transcript of your prayers over the last week, what would it look like? If I had a page or two of just all your prayers over the last week, what, what would be on that page? How much would be on that page? How, or how little would be on that page? And, and what, what would be there? What would be the content of, that, of those prayers you've been praying over the last week or two? If we could have a transcript of Jesus' prayer, or even just one, wouldn't that be so awesome? Wouldn't that be so awesome if we could just get one page of, of a prayer from Jesus, of His time talking to His Heavenly Father, and be able to look at that and be inspired and encouraged, and, and, and look at like, what, what did He pray? What did He talk to God the Father about? What did God the Son Talk to God the Father about while, he was, while Jesus was here on earth. Well, good news, we have a transcript of one of Jesus' prayers, one of the longest prayers recorded in the Bible in John 17. And this is powerful. This is meaty. This is weighty. And I, I feel a sense of inadequacy and in even handling this text tonight because there's so much here. And I, I just want to unpack it well and clearly and, and handle this text well, this prayer well, because it, it's, it's glorious. And so we are going to dig into this prayer and look at what Jesus, God the Son, talked to God the Father about just hours before he would be crucified. 
and, 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 and buried and raised from the dead. So let us pray and we'll dig in. Father, I thank you for your sons and daughters here in this room. And as we open up the words of Scripture, the very words that your son spoke and prayed, I pray that we would be inspired that we would be encouraged, that we would be comforted, that our faith would be strengthened, and that we would be stirred to be a people of prayer. And that our prayers would have substance in them. That our prayers would be purposeful and effective, and that we would see You answer and do great things through our prayers. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so here's the big idea. This is where we're going tonight from John 17. Jesus modeled the perfect prayer life by which His followers were not only inspired by His example of unhindered communion with the Father, but they also experienced the benefits of His intercession. So that's where we're going tonight. John 17, we're going to read the first five verses. And I'm going to try to work through the whole 26 verses tonight. And hopefully I can do that with some simplicity and brevity. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give him eternal life to all whom you had given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills from where my help comes from. Jesus lifted his eyes to pray to the Father. To, to, and remember, Jesus taught his disciples. By the way, as we read through this prayer, see how many connections you can make with how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Like, for one, calling God Father. Coming before God as our Father. That's one of the ways Jesus taught us to pray. Address God as Father. So he prayed to his Father. And then he says, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus used this language referring to his time or the hour. And, and he communicated that he was on a divine timetable. He was in touch and in tune with what the Father was up to. And he, he just he kept in step with what God the Father was up to. And he was all about fulfilling the mission that the Father had given him to do. And so he, here, he says the hour has come. So Jesus has a sense that it's getting closer, that he's going to be crucified soon, that he's going to give his life as a ransom for many, that he's going to endure a painful cross. And he says, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Notice that this sense of sovereignty and providence 
in the Father's timing and working and bringing about and orchestrating certain events to happen doesn't lead Jesus to passivity in, in prayer, but rather it encourages Him to pray. You see, when, when we have a proper perspective of a, the sovereign God of the universe who rules and reigns and He's working through events and our times are in His hands, that should not lead any of us to passivity when it comes to prayer. We should be all the more prayerful when we think about and believe in the sovereignty of God because God responds to the prayers of His people. And actually, it seems that Jesus even steps up the prayer in light of the hour to come. It seems that there was, you know, He says in chapter 12, His soul was exceedingly sorrowful. And then shortly after this, he goes and he prays in the garden and there's this, you know, he tells his disciples, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And he prays, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus, as he's approaching the cross, as he's about to do the hardest thing he ever did here on this earth, as he walked as the son of man going to the cross, he was prayerful. He was talking to the father about it. He was in touch and tune with the Father. And this is interesting. He says, Father, glorify your Son so that He may glorify you. Now, I don't want to necessarily encourage us to pray, glorify me, God, so I can glorify you. This is God the Son speaking to God the Father. Okay? This is deity. This is God in the flesh. Jesus laid aside the glory of heaven to come to earth. As it says in, uh, what, verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Remember, Jesus was with the Father from all eternity. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so, Jesus has a lot of experience of talking with His Heavenly Father. He's been doing it for eternity. All right, so if you, want, if you want to learn about communion with the Father, look to Jesus who has this perfect relationship of unhindered communion with the Father. And so he's concerned about the glory of God. He's concerned about glory being brought to the Trinity, the Father and the Son, them experiencing glory. That's what Jesus came to do. Look at verse 4. He says, in verse 4, I have glorified you on earth and have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was all about bringing glory to the Father. He made disciples. He displayed who God was. If, if you, Jesus said in John 14, if you see me, you've seen the Father. He displayed who God the Father is perfectly without misrepresenting Him in any way. Jesus, full of grace and truth, full of love, full of power. He healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. He fed the hungry and so on. He displayed the Father and declared the Father to His disciples and to the people. Amen? And so there's this beautiful snapshot of glory and this beautiful snapshot of this intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. And what's so awesome about Christianity, one of the things that's so awesome about Christianity, that Jesus calls us into that relationship as well. He calls us into that intimate place 
of knowing God the Father and knowing the Son. You know, we, my wife and I, we have three kids, and, and oftentimes our kids, as mom and dad are together, whether on the couch or laying down on the bed or just hugging or whatever, they love to come and run in between and snuggle and just get in between all that love. and ex- They want to they wanna get right in, sandwiched in between the love of dad and mom. And they want to experience that. And as children of God, as saints, we get that. We get, we get all, all right up in there and connected with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we experience the love of God in a deep, meaningful way that changes us. That radically changes us. And so Christianity is so much more than just a religion. Christianity is about a relationship with God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 17, 3, This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God. Jesus is all about bringing people into relationship with the one true God, the Father, and Jesus Christ whom He sent in Him. And so... This is what we're about here at City Church. Know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. And so there's this beautiful snapshot of glory. Jesus was living for the glory of God. Remember when Jesus prayed or taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he says, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As we talked about last week, let your name be regarded as holy. Let your name, who you are, be regarded as holy. Throughout this prayer, you will see God's name is a theme here. God's glory is a theme. God's mission, God's agenda is a theme here. That should take up a large portion of our prayers. When we pray, we should pray for God's name to be honored and glorified. We should pray for His kingdom to come, His will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, in this first section, he starts off first, he prays for himself, and it's legitimate to pray for yourself. But he doesn't he didn't stop there, he doesn't just pray for himself. And there's, there's several, throughout this text, there's several purpose statements as well. So there's several statements where Jesus is praying something, and then it'll say, so that, or that. And there's, there's a purpose connected to it. So take note of those as we're reading through this section Uh, Take note of those purpose statements. So the first one here is glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given and so on. So the first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. Six through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then verses 20 through 23 or so, Uh, Jesus is praying for future disciples within this text. Okay, so let's dig in a little bit further here. Going on to verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. 
all are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they have not because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they also, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Amen? So, first thing here is that Jesus prays for the protection of his disciples. He uses the term Holy Father here. Uh, so, there, there's this sense of holiness in addressing God. God is a holy God. And there's this sense of purity within that phrase, holy. Father, there's a sense of uh, personal intimacy there when we approach God. Keep them in your name. Jesus prays that they would be protected, that they would be kept from the evil one. This coincides with how Jesus taught us to pray and at the last part of uh, Matthew chapter 6. Lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from evil or from the evil one. So Jesus was doing this. Jesus was doing this. He was praying against the agenda of the evil one and praying for God's agenda to be fulfilled in their life, that they would be kept, that they would be preserved, that they would be protected from the evil one. Now, I love that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, Jesus tells Peter, he says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you so that your faith will not fail. When you return, strengthen the brethren. Jesus told Peter, Satan was asking for you, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When you return, strengthen the brethren. Aren't you glad that your security doesn't merely hang on your faithfulness or your ability to keep yourself? Aren't you glad that Jesus has a grip on his people, on you and me who believe and are in him, and he is holding on to us, and though we may have some strength to hold on to him and respond to him, but he's the stronger one. He's the one that got us. He's the one that's holding on. He's the one who said earlier in John's gospel that none can pluck them out of my hand. None can pluck them out of my hand. Now, if, if that's true, then why is Jesus praying this? Why does it even matter? Why, why is he even bringing this to prayer? Because God accomplishes his will through prayer. God brings his kingdom through prayer. God delivers us from the evil one through prayer. There is a real enemy out there, a real devil, who wants to harm the people of God. And he can, 
make our lives miserable. He can tear some things up and you and I can give him an opportunity to do so. We can leave the door open. And so we too must pray that God would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That we would be kept from the evil one. This is a, this is a great prayer to pray over your children. Those of you who are parents. I mean, this is, this is a common prayer. I mean, you feel a genuine concern for your children. That they would be preserved, protected. That their life would be guarded. That they would be delivered from any scheme of the, the evil one to harm them in any way. So parents pray over their children these kinds of prayers. God, keep them. And if you have a dream that something bad happened to one of your kids, you're going to pray more, right? You're going to like step it up. If there's a sense of, I need to surround my little ones because God's given them to me. And so Jesus had that sense of responsibility for these disciples, specifically the 11. It's a, kind of a mystery and perplexing to, to many Judas, the whole, like, what's up with Judas? Like, this guy was rolling with the disciples and Jesus for three years, and it's like he totally missed it. He totally missed it. The the Gospel of John tells us he was a thief. He was taken from the money bag the whole time. John 6, it tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning those who believed in him and those and he who would betray him. Uh, many would, would, would highlight that Judas was probably not even a genuine convert in the first place. And yet Jesus let him roll with them. And let him be a part of the crowd and cast out demons and, and do many of the things that the disciples were doing. I know there's some profound mystery there. I think the disciples were kind of shaken a little bit, probably. You know, they were probably like, you know, who, first of all, when at the, at the Last Supper, they were like, who is it, Lord? You know, who's, who's the one? Who's the guy? But Jesus has a sense of certainty about the eleven. Okay? About the eleven. That none of, he says none of them are lost except the, 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 the son of perdition. So I say that to point out that Jesus didn't fail in his discipleship or in his prayers to keep the disciples. Okay? Jesus was not a failure in his parenting, if you will, or his discipleship of the twelve, he was perfect. His prayer life was perfect. His, his relationship with the Father, his teaching, everything about him was perfect. Amen? So he prayed for the protection of his followers, that, that they would be kept from the evil one. Uh, now, we do know that many of his followers were killed. Okay? Does that mean that Jesus' prayer wasn't answered? No. Go back to Luke, Luke 22. I've prayed for, Satan's asked to sift wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. Uh, he was martyred uh, for the gospel's sake, and he was faithful. He was faithful to the end. Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. He was just kind of kind of broken of his self-confidence, if you will. You know, he was like, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll go. I could totally relate to Peter. I mean, I, I just, I, I have some of those same tendencies like this self-confidence. I can do it, Lord. And I just get humbled, humbled concerning my own strength and my own resources and, and just brought to, to depend upon the grace of God to keep me, to sustain me. And thank God that it's not just my prayers that keep me close to God, but we have a great intercessor 
who has prayed for us and is currently interceding for us. If there's one thing I want us to get out of this message tonight is encouragement and comfort and confidence in the fact that Jesus has prayed for you and he is interceding for you even at this moment. He is our great Savior and he is our great intercessor. He is standing in the gap for you and me. Praise God for intercessors. Those who give themselves to stand in the gap on behalf of others in prayer. That's work. That's hard work. That's selflessness. Thinking about somebody else and giving your time, your spiritual energy, your emotional energy, your physical energy to pray for somebody else, for the well-being of somebody else. That's Christ-like. That's being like Jesus, the great intercessor, the great high priest that we have. It's, it's comforting to know when you're going through a difficult time that people are praying for you. That around the world, people are praying for you. That you have family or a church that's praying for you. And it's comforting to know that you have godly people praying for you. Righteous people who really love God and are really walking upright before God. And they really pray fervently and they pray effectively. And God hears their prayers and He answers their prayers. That's encouraging, right? When you know that somebody, a godly person, is praying for you, well, how much more encouraging should it be for us knowing that Jesus is interceding for us? He's interceding on behalf, on our behalf, before the Father. If you don't believe me, look at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7, verse 25, says this, Therefore He is able once and forever to save those who come to God through Him, He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest that we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. And he has been set apart from sinners and has been and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. So Jesus is our great intercessor and he is our great and perfect high priest. You see, He is the only way to God the Father. He said in John 14, 6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only mediator between God and man. He's the only way to be saved. He's the only way to have this intimate relationship with God the Father. It's through the Son. It's through Jesus Christ. And He's the one who keeps us. He's the one who stands in the gap for you and me. He is our great high priest. Aren't you glad that you don't have to go to an earthly priest to confess all your sins, to, to be all right, to be pardoned by the, um, by the priest? I, I, I saw um, the other day a, a news article. It says that the Pope gave priests or cardinals the permission to grant forgiveness for the sin of abortion. saw that the other day. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jesus, through Jesus and Christ alone 
can anybody find forgiveness of sins? Through His blood shed and through coming to God through Him. So he prayed for the protection, the preservation of his disciples. Do you think Jesus' prayers are going to be answered, saints? Should we have any confidence that what Jesus asked the Father, that he's going to get it? Yes. I think he prays according to God's will. I think he is righteous and godly and he he is heard by the Father and his, his prayers will be answered. Amen. So the next thing is that Jesus uh, prayed for the sanctification of his followers. He prayed uh, that they would be kept from the evil one, but also that they would be sanctified by the truth. By them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they might be sanctified in truth. So this is weighty to God that his people be set apart, that they be in this world, but not of this world. Notice in the, in the, the previous verses, he says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one in the world. Uh, and, and that they be sanctified by the truth, that, that though they're in the world, that they would be sanctified, that they would be made pure and, and kept pure by the truth, that they, would be, that they would walk in holiness. You know, Christians tend to get out of balance in this being in the world and, and uh, not of the world. You know, some Christians tend to just kind of retreat and kind of have a holy huddle and be completely disconnected from the lost, sinful world and tend to forget that Jesus was called a friend of sinners because he hung out with sinners. He was, he, he was on a mission. But yet he was perfectly holy and righteous and never compromised and never sinned. And, and we must never, God forbid that we should become some monastery or some you know, little holy huddle where we're, we're so disconnected from the world. We're, we're concerned about touching the lepers unless we be unclean touching the, the sinners lest we be unclean. God forbid that we take on that mentality. Jesus corrected that mentality with the religious leaders of his day and said stuff like, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles your pers- a person. There was a, there was a focus on external righteousness uh, in, the, in the Jewish mind and with the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day. And Jesus just he brought it back to the heart. It's about the heart. It's about being pure in heart and righteous in heart, not having all these externals looking more righteous than we really are and not having that in the heart. So Jesus prayed that his, his disciples would be sanctified, that they would be set apart. You know, the other side of, of getting out of balance is becoming so contextualized and so engaged and missional that we compromise convictions, biblical convictions, in the name of trying to reach people and being missional. You know, missionaries struggle with this. When they go over to other countries and you know, they take on the, the clothing and the food and they, you know, and culture's not bad and evil in and of itself, but then there's practices within other religions that, that if Christians engage in, they're just, they're just wrong for doing so. They're, they're opening themselves up. And, and, I, and the same is, is true for us here. There's plenty of ways that we can compromise in our convictions, our biblical convictions. And he prayed into that. He prayed into that his disciples would be kept, that his disciples 
would be sanctified by the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. Uh, Jesus, he never sinned. So it wasn't like he was like, okay, I'm cleansing myself of some sin. He never sinned. He was, from, from the very beginning, he was devoted and set apart for God. Um, and for God's purposes. And, and one of the ways that, that, that we're made holy through Jesus' devotion and consecration is through the cross. Jesus lived his life with the cross in mind that he would die, that he would be a sacrifice for humanity so that we would be forgiven and consecrated, that we would be sanctified. We must let the influence of God's word be stronger and louder in our hearts and mind than any other influence. Don't let the voices of this world crowd out God's Word, the influence of His Word. It's through this Word. You and I cannot grow in sanctification if we're not spending time in this Word. Uh, D.L. Moody said, you know, sin will either keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. And so we must be people who are letting this word sink deep down within us and letting it wash us, renew our mind, renew our perspective and sanctify us and cleanse us. And when our lives don't line up with what this word says, then we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repent and come before God in prayer and say, God, forgive me for this. Help me to walk this out. I know this is your will. You've expressed it here. And so this is a great prayer to pray. I I often have used this prayer um, and used this prayer. Sanctify them by the truth. May we be a church that every week and and throughout the week in our personal time, we're in this truth. We're being sanctified through the truth. Jesus said in John 15, you are clean through the words that I've spoken to you. There's a cleansing that comes through the word of God. Amen. Amen. So lastly, Jesus prayed for the unity of his followers. So he says, I do, not, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So there's another purpose statement. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, and love them even as you love me. Wow. That's, there's so much there. There's, the unity of the church was weighty and valued by Christ. This was something he was talking to God the Father about before he left. And he prayed about the unity of the followers of of Christ. And he not only prayed for the disciples that were presently there with him. He said, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay? Look to your neighbor and say, that's you. That's you. He was looking forward, praying forward to those who would believe. Amen? And so he, he covered us here in this prayer. You're, you're here. You're, this prayer applies to you. Jesus prayed for you. I hope you feel loved and cared for that the great intercessor 
has said a prayer for you and is currently interceding for you. That's, that's the big takeaway I think that we should all have tonight is that we have Him as our great intercessor. And if He prayed for this, we should pursue this. The unity of the church. How good and pleasant that is when the brethren dwell together in unity. I mean, as a dad with three kids, I know how pleasant it is when my children are playing well together and there is peace and harmony in the home. How unpleasant it is when my kids are throwing down, whining, throwing fits, and and just acting like sinners. Like they have a sinful nature or something and need to be born again. Because they do. <laughs> and so I, I just get a little glimpse of that as a father. And, and how much more does God the Father delight in His children when they're, they're loving each other. They're with one voice and one heart and one mind pursuing the purposes of God, pursuing the mission of God and going after God like the early church. I mean, it's all, it seems like some of Jesus' prayer was being answered right there at Pentecost. And shortly after, in the book of Acts, they were with one heart and one mind. And they were praying together. They were pursuing God together. There were 3,000 added to the church in one day, and then so on. More and more were just coming in, and there was this unison and this, this just sense of greatness because the kingdom of God was spreading like wildfire from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the other utter ends of the world. And Jesus' prayers were being answered, and they're still being answered today. And so we should pursue this. And you know, the basis of our unity, you know, isn't our race, isn't our occupation, isn't our social status or our bank accounts or our, our affinity for, uh, for sports, the Broncos or Yankees or Cowboys or Aggies, or whatever, the basis for our unity is Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has brought us together across different nationalities, across different backgrounds, denominational backgrounds, and, and, and out, of, out of darkness, and out of you know, poverty, and out of you know, uh, wealth. And it, you know, God just he brings together one church, and this reflects His glory. When his church is united across the differences, and there's this beautiful tapestry of beautiful colors, beautiful diversity, and it's all one masterpiece. It's all one body reflecting the glory of God. God longs for this. He, Jesus himself prayed for this. And so we too should seek that. Amen? How good and pleasant it is when, his bre- when the brethren dwell together in unity. Uh, Ephesians 4 says... Be um, eager to maintain the, the unity of the Spirit in, in the bond of peace. So lastly, here in John seventeen twenty four through 26, Jesus prayed about his desire for his disciples. He said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you've given me. Because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made, them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you loved me with, that the love which you have loved me may be in them, 
and I in them. Jesus is saying, I want them to be with me. I want them to see my glory. And he, and he calls God righteous father. So he, we have holy father earlier, he said. Righteous father. He's praying to his righteous father here. And he says, I want them to be with me. And he says, I made known to them your name. So when the Bible refers uh, to name, like here and in other places, the name of the Lord, um, it refers to who he is, his, his character. There's many titles and names revealed throughout Scripture. And those titles give us a glimpse of who God is, the glory of who he is. And Jesus, he, he declared, that he made known the name of the Father to the disciples. So he displayed it. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, you've seen glory wrapped up in a human body, God in flesh wrapped up in this human body, the Son of God and the Son of Man. And then he declared, he declared it. He, he let them know what God the Father was like. He told them. He manifested his name. And notice the effect of that, of Jesus making known the Father, the glory of who God is to his disciples, that the love which you love me with may be in them. See, 2 Corinthians 3 says that we are transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord as we behold His glory. You see, as we get a glimpse of the beauty and the glory of who God is, we're changed and we begin to take on His characteristics, namely love here. The Lord who is gracious. And think back to Moses when, when he's like, he prays, God, show me your glory. And God causes his glory, his goodness to pass before Moses. And he proclaimed his name, saying, I am the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Moses was just like blown up with this holy glow. You know, he got a glimpse of the glory of God. And you and I will be changed as we behold the glory of who God is. Jesus wants that for his followers. He wants us to be with him, to have an intimate relationship with him, with the Father. And he wants us to behold his glory, the glory of who he is, and, and feel the weight of who he is. You see, that affects, that leads to sanctification. That leads to, to being kept from the evil one. When we're walking in this close relationship with God, he protects us, he keeps us, he delivers us. Amen? So here's some application here. We should be encouraged that Jesus has prayed for, for you and me and is interceding for us. We should be confident that Christ has a secure grip on his people, a grip of grace. I love that old song. <clears throat> well, it's not that old, but uh, we used to sing it all the time on, uh, for Kaleo with the kids. You never let go. Oh, no, you never let go through the calm and through the storm. Whoa, no, you never let go, every high and every low. Whoa, no, you never let go, Lord, you never let go of me. He's holding on to us. He's interceding for us. We should also pray for others like Jesus has for us and use these very petitions in those prayers. We should, we should intercede on behalf of others just like he's done 
for us. We should know that these petitions reveal God's heart for us. We got God the Son talking to God the Father. We're we're kind of brought into what one commentator calls the Holy of Holies. We're, we're, We're on holy ground when we're in John 17. This is holy ground that we're diving into, that we're walking upon when we read these words, these intimate words and this intimate prayer between God the Son and the Father. And then we should pursue the purity and the unity that Jesus prayed for His followers. Amen?